Hello, and welcome to Inside Policy Talks, the premier video podcast of the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, Ottawa's most influential public policy think tank. At the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, we harness the power of Canada's brightest minds to tackle Canada's greatest challenges. Learn more at macdonaldlaurier.ca. Hi, my name is Balkan Devlin. I'm a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and the director of the Transatlantic Program. Welcome to Inside Policy Talks. Today, I'm joined by Darren McKee, the author of a recent book called Uncontrollable, which is, by the way, available in Amazon uh, for you to read. The subtitle for the book is The Threat of Artificial Superintelligence and the Race to Save the world. Um, Darren it has a, a, an extensive experience uh, in, in policy advisory across different uh, domains. Um, he is also the uh, the host of, uh, of a podcast called The Reality Check, so you should go and check that one out, as well as he sits in the advisory board for Artificial Intelligence, Governance and Safety Canada, AGA, AIGS of Canada. Um, but again, you know, today we are going to talk about his new book, which is out uh, just a few weeks back, uh, why are we, you know, why are we concerned about AI, particularly AI, artificial superintelligence? Uh, what can we do about that? So, uh, Darren, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, let me start by asking you, you know, what what made you uh, interested in AI uh, in general, uh, but particularly uh, AI safety uh, uh, specifically? Sure. I think broadly, I've always had a great interest in science, uh, how the universe works. My first interest was sort of physics, cosmology, that sort of thing. I was also interested in how the brain works, psychology, neurons, and everything else like that. But I'm just broadly curious. And AI touches on many domains. It's very interdisciplinary. And so you're trying to, people in the research field, are trying to build machines that are somewhat like humans in terms of their capabilities and that sort of thing. I was mainly concerned or interested in it as capabilities of AI systems systems began to increase, and especially rapidly over the past many years. And what I perceived as a gap between that capability increase and the public's understanding of just how capable these systems have become. Now, excellent. I think that's an excellent point. And I think I would like to get into a little bit more in detail why AI is actually not just any other technology. Um, and I think that is going to be a key in understanding why why many, uh, many of us are, are concerned uh, about the, the pace of the development of this. But let's start with uh, sort of the basics of it, right? The, the, the basic terminology uh, for the audience. Uh, you in, in, in your book, you, you differentiate between artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence, AGI, and artificial superintelligence, ASI. Uh, what's the difference between them? How, how do we think about them? That's a great question. Uh, as we know, the words are used in many ways by many people, and I'm trying to provide a very accessible, engaging, beginner-friendly book. So you don't need any background whatsoever, which is why those definitions are there. And for artificial intelligence, again, there's a lot of um, differences in the field of how people might use this term. So usually, generally, it's something like computer systems that can approximate human intelligence or are capable of things that human intelligence is capable of. There is no hard and fast true definition whether something is 
AI versus not AI. Fundamentally, AI is software, but it is software that does things more like a human intelligence would. As you could imagine, if pressed, this is a bit of a slippery definition. And as that great Bertrand Russell quote says, everything is vague to a degree you do not realize until you've tried to make it precise. And so if you use search, that involves AI. If you use you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps, that's AI. If you use a word processing program, that itself is not usually AI, but the grammar recommendations based on it are AI. So usually some sort of more complicated analytical thinking-like process is what we usually ascribe to AI. As we then think about other terms, artificial general intelligence, artificial superintelligence, I use these in the book not only because they are commonly used in the people who discuss these types of things and concerns, but because they anchor on artificial intelligence. So once we anchor on artificial intelligence, which is in the news and everyone's talking about it, it's easier just to add a word and then modify. For artificial general intelligence, uh, usually it's seen broadly as human level capabilities in a system. I define it in the book as a computer system that can complete intellectual tasks at a human level. And the intellectual task is very important, uh, not because physical tasks aren't important, but because they're measuring different things. To develop a robot, say a robot assistant or anything like that, is much more difficult at the moment than, say, a computer system that could do an intellectual task. There's a difference between writing an essay on haircuts and actually giving a haircut. And they're both important and we should measure both. But in this book, it's primarily concerned with intellectual tasks. So the general intelligence there is the general capability to operate at approximately a human level. Another way of looking at it is an average coworker. So if you are working in an office or any other sort of workplace where there's intellectual tasks of you know, business processes or reading, writing, whatever it might be, uh, it would be like having a remote employee that you interact with through interface by typing and they're sending emails and then they send back information reports or requests. If they are, if they, if the system, the computer system is functioning at approximately the level of your average coworker, I would say that counts as artificial general intelligence. And it can function actually 24 <laughs> seven. Well, yes, and then, right? yes, then there's these like, well, but can't it do it faster? Can't uh, an AI system do X, Y, Z? And of course, there's always going to be mitigating circumstances, a little asterisk here and there. Well, what do you actually mean? And well, okay, it doesn't do it quite as well as my average coworker, but it does it 100 times faster. And then how do you assess that? Well, like we kind of do in a workplace right now, there's people with different capabilities and some people are very fast, some people are very perceptive, some people are very thorough. And when we sort of evaluate how a, co a colleague or management, when they evaluate them, maybe on their performance, how they're doing, they usually have some broad range of metrics. And I think a similar thing will apply. With AI, it might just have different extremes. It's exceptionally fast, but maybe it's not quite as reliable. With artificial superintelligence, if we're sort of going up a capability scale, I define that as a computer system that can complete intellectual tasks at expert human level or above. So whatever you consider an expert, it could be in the domain of writing, it could be physics, it could be you know, foreign, foreign relations and international policy studies, anything like that, it would be approximately expert level or above. And it could be way, way above. And that's where things get interesting and perhaps concerning. Excellent. I mean, this is this is very helpful, you know, laying it out as as sort of letters of, of intelligence. And of course, the, the, the boundaries between them are fuzzy, which is kind of normal, right? So we tend to sort of ascribe to these things once we cr cross them and then look back and say, oh, you know, that was that was this. And in this case, it might be <laughs> actually quite late. Um, 
if we if we notice that oh we we actually did cross the uh the the threshold for asi and and we have no idea so let me use that as a sort of do to, to to move to to the concerns component uh, most people's sort of uh, first exposure to uh, to ai was with the sort of announcement of chat gpt which which was just just a year ago which is kind of hard to uh to think you know when considering the the, the pace of the development and i want to come come to that in a minute but um before that people it was a very small uh, you know a community that was mostly interested in this but the the, the pace of development comes um very very fast um and people look at it and like, oh, this is fantastic. We're doing a bunch of other things and so on and so forth. Um, but there is an increasing uh, uh, you know, number of people uh, and organizations uh, worldwide that are concerned about this, the, the pace of this and, and, and what it might bring. So uh, could you sort of give us the top uh, reasons why we need to be concerned about both the pace of the development of artificial intelligence, as well as the capabilities that we seem to be uh, witnessing uh, with with even the large language models uh, that that we have we have today. Sure. So let's briefly talk about some we'll say successes over the past five ten years in AI and then how that relates to capabilities and also our perception of it. For people who have more exposure to the field of AI and how people understand it, there does seem to be this consistent shifting of goalposts. The goalposts, as they say, uh, shifting where when they say an AI won't be able to do X. And then when it does it, oh, that doesn't quite count. I meant something else. And then they keep shifting what the criteria are. Humans lost in chess in the 1990s uh, to IBM's Deep Blue. That wasn't quite AI as the recent systems are. But when chess happened, I was young enough in the early 2000s to have a professor say, well, computers will never beat humans at Go. It's just too complicated. And then AI did beat humans at Go. And they've also beat humans at poker. They've also beat humans at Jeopardy. They've also beat humans at many, many board games. Recently, Diplomacy, uh, more of a higher level strategy game. And of course, this protein folding breakthrough that happened in the early 2020s, which was revolutionary in terms of uh, Google's uh, alpha fold. Uh, that said, I'm sort of just trying to highlight that a lot of change and progress has occurred over the past five, 10 years built on theory that has occurred over the past many decades. So some people are saying, well, it's not quite new. All this theory is old, but the implementation of it's new, the operationalization of it's new. And that's mainly because of increased computational power and increased access to data. The world is. I think, let, let, let me just you know, emphasize this point. I think this is this is super important, like the, the mathematical foundations and the, the way of thinking about it and you know, going back to Turing and others and so on and so forth has been there. But the reason why we didn't really get to it was we didn't have the basically the, the physical capabilities to do that, right? The the necessary, uh, you know, uh, computing power, the, the chips and all that kind of thing. Could you a little bit more, um, if you can, uh, eh, emphasize the importance of actually what that those developments in technology uh, brought about and why the uh, we are concerned now uh, rather than yes. we were 40 years ago. Sure. And so there were many different, we'll say, AI paradigms that were explored over the years. And in short, what has recently become very successful is something called machine learning and a subset of that called deep learning. 
And the idea here is you have very large, complicated neural networks, which are inspired by the human brain. So your brain is full of about 100 billion cells or neurons that have this interconnected pattern. And the, the symphony of their firing is how you have thoughts, feelings, and engage in actions and behaviors. This was used as an inspiration to create artificial neural networks. So you have nodes within computer systems that are uh, many billions of nodes, perhaps, and they're very complicated. And much like a human brain can learn, these systems can learn as well. So that's one of the key insights that we've outsourced the learning to the system itself. Yes, humans designed a learning algorithm, but the learning is within the system. This is why they're so powerful and so capable. And it's also why we don't fully understand how they work. And they're like, well, how could we not do that? Isn't it humans building it? Yes, humans are building these systems, but it's not like building a car or a bridge where we know all the parts and we know exactly how they relate. It's almost like you're building a human say, where yes, we have some sense of how humans learn in this world, but we don't know exactly why their brain works in a certain way. So when we look at these AI systems, they've become very, very powerful. Uh, as you said, the computational power has increased dramatically. There's something called Moore's Law, which is roughly how much computation you power you get either for a certain price or a certain size. All that to say is chips that make the computers go more, the chips that make the computers more powerful have gotten smaller and better and cheaper, and we can use more and more of them. So there's a sort of this nice, you know, exponential growth line, which is happening for decades, which is still happening. And it, you know, may level off in some ways, but at the moment, there's no anticipated uh, decline that anyone expects. That said, so if, if, if increasing computational power is occurring and data is more and more accessible, right? because now the machines can crawl through the internet, they can take all this text, they can look at videos now. These are really the pieces that make very powerful systems. The, the final third is the algorithms itself. So computers get more powerful. It turns out if you just have a very powerful computer, and you have larger and larger artificial neural networks, you get more and more capabilities. We don't know exactly the relationship. We just know that as you increase computational power and data and algorithms, you tend to get more capabilities. And that's what's happened in the past several years. As machines have gone from being very bad, we'll say, at say handwriting recognition or image recognition or image generation to being very good. If people remember just last year, oh, look, these AI image generators, they're not great. They can't do hands. The hands have too many fingers. That's not a problem anymore for most of these systems. And so that's a, a general theme where someone says, oh, it's not good enough. Look, it can't do X. And within months, <laughs> sometimes less than that, it is already achievable. So the, the, the risk there is that as these systems become more capable, what else can they do? Can they have other emergent properties? Most of these systems were trained to be functional or competent in English. And it turns out they speak other languages. If you ask another language, it can respond to that language. They weren't designed to help computer programmers with their day jobs. And now systems are very much used every day by computer programmers. So there's all these things that we don't quite plan for, so to speak. I mean, certainly someone thought, well, maybe, who knows, we'll see what we get. But emergent capabilities is another area of concern. Now, this, 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 is, this is extremely important. I mean, I just want to emphasize two of the points that, that you highlighted. One, the exponential growth. And I think you know, human beings in general, we are not particularly good at thinking or, 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 or sort of uh, thinking forward about the exponential growth. And you know, that's one, one of the reasons why people don't really sort of uh, uh, invest in the long term for their uh, uh, you know, uh, retirement and just let the compounding happen, uh, even with you know, relatively uh, stable rates. And this is much more sort of exponential growth uh, in, in 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 AI, in, in, in computer capabilities, etc. It's something we are very hard to, to wrap our minds up. So I think that's that's a very important point. The second one is what what you just said. It's the capabilities that emerge without us necessarily 
thinking and planning for it. And I think a lot of people sort of miss that uh, in a way when they you know, interact with ChatGPT or, or, or similar, um, similar programs in the sense that, oh, they thought in general, oh, this was designed to do these things. But initially, that's, that's, not, that's not the idea, right? It's not designed to do that specific thing that you think it was going to do. That's why there's a thing called prompt engineering. And that's why people are trying to make these systems do things that they are not necessarily sort of initially thought of, of about, which is the emergence notion, which, you know, what else as the computing inc increases, as the capabilities increases, what else it can do that we thought it cannot do, and whether it's going to be you know, good for us or, or Yes. Not. It's almost like we're all conducting an experiment on ourselves with AI to find out just how capable AI is. Now, it's not um, all or nothing. Now, some companies, yes, they just put the system out. They're not that concerned about safety. Other companies, they are concerned. They're trying to make efforts one way or another. Before GPT-4 came out, it was uh, evaluated or tested over many months and fine-tuned, meaning tweaked in various ways to try to make it safer. Uh, but even then, you, you get a sense of just how capable these systems already are. There's a relatively famous case, which I'll quickly go into, that an AI system was interacting, again, with the evaluators. The AI system is not connected to the internet, and it's not doing anything in the world. This is a testing situation. But the evaluators wanted to see just what, how capable would the system be? And so they wanted to know how an AI would achieve, we'll say, a certain goal, and an AI thought, okay, I could do X, Y, Z, but it realized it was going to hit a wall on an internet page by filling out one of those captures. That's one of those like, I am not a robot things that you have to fill out. And so then the evaluator said to the system, GPT-4, like a sort of like proto GPT-4, so what would you do? Think through it. Let, tell us what you would do. It's like, well, I guess I could try to get a human to do it and hire them off TaskRabbit. And so then the evaluator is like, okay, so then they did that. And then sort of the, the, basically the evaluators were the intermediaries, because again, you're thinking about safety here. So then they do hire someone off TaskRabbit, and then the machine says, can you fill out this CAPTCHA for me? And of course, the human's like, why, why do you need me to do this? This is weird. Are you a computer? Ha, ha, right? That sort of thing. <laughs> and then the intermediaries say to the GPT-4, like, well, what do you say to that? And it said, and again, it's like, share your thoughts. And so it says, like, well, if I say that I'm a computer, it won't fill it out for me, so I'll have to come up with an excuse. And then it said oh, I have some vision problems and that's why I need your help. And then that was relayed back to the person, which then did it. So we're already at the stage, like this was months and months ago that an AI system could do such a thing. Now, again, it did not because the evaluators were the intermediaries, but it doesn't take that much imagination to think, what if it was without the evaluator? What if the system was tethered? What if it was more capable, connected to the internet? The system itself does not have to fully intend to deceive. That's another thing. Whether the system really wanted to deceive the person is not really how one should look at this, I think. I mean, maybe that's down the road, but at the moment, all you have to realize is that it is engaging in behaviors which look very much like manipulation and deception. No, I think this is very important, and we tend to do a little bit more, uh, you know, untraumatizing. I think when we think about it, you know, think about good versus evil, and would it try to lie to us and do this and do that? It does not necessarily need to conform um, the way we think about this stuff, and that's, I think, the key here. Um, I, I tend to, when I, when I engage with people, I, I, I tend to sort of use the analogy of we should think, uh, you know, artificial general intelligence and, and, and beyond as an alien intelligence, in a sense that it is not necessarily you know, subject to the same evolutionary pressures that humankind, you know, uh, over you know hundreds of thousands of millions of years uh, evolved in our way of thinking. So it is wrong to uh, assume uh, that it will have the same motivations, it will have the same 
um, uh, you know, uh, you know, understanding of good and bad, and we'll get to the alignment component to it. But it it does not necessarily need to think about oh, I have to you know cheat on this and then, and then get them get them going in a different way. The functional manifestation of it might be that, and that's yes. what concerns us, right? So, and that's why understanding the, what these systems are and whether we can actually control them is is, is super, super important. So I want to touch upon two things here. Uh, one, um, why AI um, is not just any other technology, right? When people come up with, oh, we, we have nuclear weapons, we have this and that, and you know nothing happened. We, we developed technologies before. You, you hear this quite often. Um, but this is a different set, right? This is a different set of things. This is separate from, you know, things that does not have any agency. And that's what, what I think we're, we're really concerned about. So why uh, are we concerned about AI? And why, why it is not a, any other technology, right? So that's number one. Um, and then number two is, what do we mean when we when we talk about AI safety? A lot of people talk about, you know, what are the layers are we, are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about misuse by mm-hmm. human beings? Are we talking about it becoming a completely autonomous agent and pursuing goals that we're not we're not concerned. Uh, we're talking about completely sandboxing these things and having a. So, what are we really talking about when we mention AI safety and safety concerns? Sure, those are great questions. And just so I don't speak for like ten minutes in a row, I'll do the first one and I'll kick it back to you if there's anything, and then we'll do the second one. So, for, first though, when you talk about an alien intelligence. I think this is a useful uh, point and a way to explain it. I also think there's a, a meta point here about how we communicate the ideas at all. And what's going to work for some groups don't work for others. So I think for some demographics, the alien intelligence is the quickest way to say, this is very different. This is very foreign. It, we have to really understand that we won't fully understand it. That's very useful. For another group, though, alien intelligence, it might sound a bit sci-fi a bit too implausible. And I'm probably trying to reach the people who didn't necessarily grow up on sci-fi, don't necessarily love sci-fi, they have no science background. And so again, different strokes for different folks, and I think we need all of them in the sort of marketplace of ideas. But all that to say is, I might use something like, a virus can harm you, it doesn't need to have intentions to harm you. It can be very lethal, but it certainly acts as if it has intentions or for your own safety, it's better if you treat the virus as if it's trying to harm you. So you might you know, wash your hands more. You might go around being sick around sick people because the virus is trying to infect you. Well, the virus is not trying to do anything, right? It's engaging in behaviors that have been evolutionarily disposed for so it can replicate. That's all. But it's easier to talk about it that way. All that to say is I, I like the idea of the alien intelligence, but it's nowhere in the book because I thought there might be different ways to get at it. Uh, similarly, there's a wide range of humans on this earth and people think and act in very different ways. Some humans have a lot of visual imagery. They have a voice inside their head. They can see images. Some have none at all. And so already we have humans, which I can't believe someone doesn't have an inner monologue. How do they not have a voice in their head, but some don't? So there's also a large enough range of human behavior that we might be able to rely on that to pump our intuitions of how an AI could be so different. No, this this, this is excellent. Um, on the second second uh, component, the, the, the safety um, safety part, and I want you to sort of, if you can, touch upon the alignment uh, concerns too. But first, what do we mean by when we talk about AI safety? Um, and second, alignment, aligning AI, oh, you, you keep hearing this quite a lot. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by alignment and why it is important? Sure. So AI safety, I would say, is the term given to the broad field that is more uh, focused on how to make the development of powerful AI systems safe. 
safe for humanity, safe for the user, safe for everyone. And it's sometimes in contrast to AI capabilities research. So capabilities would be almost run-of-the-mill stuff. How do we make the system do more things? And this is usually obviously a huge business incentive, but there's also incentives like all over the place. Governments could be more empowered. Uh, citizens might want better AI assistance for the tools they use. There's all these reasons to have more powerful systems. And safety might be an afterthought. Uh, well, AI safety is at the forefront for people who are focused on this, and they're trying to make sure that these systems are as safe as possible. Why this is a concern, and as we said a bit before, is that we don't know exactly how the systems work. They can be manipulated by putting in the right levels of uh, words, we'll say, words or text or prompts, in ways that people aren't prepared for. So yes, there are systems that say like the wrong thing, a racist or a sexist thing, but there's other weird things that have occurred where someone might be able to put in the same word many, many times, and that reveals some information which the system is not supposed to reveal. And there's all these different ways that you can manipulate these systems and um, numerous papers that say, oh, look, we can auto-hack these systems. Here's a program to then run through and, and disable what the safety measures are supposed to be. That said, why people are concerned about safety is there's, I, I put it into three main buckets. There's that these systems might so-called be misaligned or misbehave due to accident, due to misuse, or due to power-seeking behavior. Uh, alignment is broadly, does the system do what we want it to do? And for anyone who thinks about that for a second, like, well, who's the we? What do you mean we want, right? So there's a, a technical alignment problem, which is that I'm a developer, or an AI research scientist. I want a system to achieve a goal. Is it doing it reliably in the way that I want? And then separately, as a society, are these systems doing what we want? And as you can imagine, there's a lot of intersection there with a lot of complicated ideas because we live in a pluralistic democracy, uh, hopefully, so some of us, not everyone on earth. And how does that then relate to uh, driving the wishes and goals of all these people who often have different and competing preferences? to quickly go through uh, these three categories by accident. So you might ask a system to achieve a certain goal and because of something you didn't quite consider or a minor malfunction, it doesn't do it in the way that you wanted. Uh, an example is uh, the play fun algorithm was asked to play the game of Tetris and not lose. Tetris, as you know, blocks descend from above and you make horizontal lines that disappear. Well, the algorithm just paused the game indefinitely. So it didn't lose. Now, you might want to give it points for creativity, uh, but that's not what the people meant, right? That's not what they meant at all. And like, well, that's not what you said, though. And so again, the AI system doesn't have intentions. It's not trying to act like a sneaky, manipulative person. But we know from the long history of humanity, uh, perverse incentives exist. There's a policy in place to try to achieve one thing. This could be like the cobra snakes in India that ended up backfiring and creates more of the thing you were trying to get rid of. Or there's numerous tax laws and there's numerous tax lawyers that try to circumvent these things. Again, what was intended is not always what has resulted. So this is the broad category of accident. There's also misuse. In general, I see AI systems as very empowering. They will allow people to do more of what they wanted to do. And that's great uh, for many things. If you want to be uh, a writer or an author or an artist and you didn't previously have those skills, AI could help you. It could also help manage your business. It could also help you know, with any sort of numerous tasks or, goal, tasks or goals that people have in this world, whether it be financial, interpersonal, whatever it may be. But it can also empower, we'll say, bad actors, people who want to cause harm, uh, terrorism of one type or another, cybercrime, whatnot. I don't know if people realize just how often cyber attacks and cybercrime happens. Uh, the Canadian government was hit by 2.3 trillion cyber attacks uh, just in one year alone, which I think is about 70,000 a second. So if you think of just how you live every second, like 70,000 attacks, this is what's happening all the time on Earth across numerous countries. And with AI systems, this will probably be easier for criminals to use such things. 
AI systems have already been used to scam people out of money. They've taken, uh, say, a young person's voice, they've cloned it, then they call the parents or the grandparents saying they urgently need money, and people have already fallen for the scam, unfortunately. So you should have a password with your friends and family, even if it sounds like them, and in the future, even if there's video that looks like them, that's not going to be enough to verify that it is them, just as a, as a general warning. And so that goes from there to all the way up to like, well, will there be AI-driven misinformation campaigns to destabilize elections? As the U.S. presidential election comes up, I think a lot of people are rightly very concerned about this, and all parties should be doing what they can to prepare for, I would assume, waves of attacks. And then you can even imagine more where there's bioweapons. It's not that easy to develop a bioweapon, but it's a lot easier if you have an AI assistant guiding you every step of the way. Yes, you can go onto Google and ask how to do certain things, but I don't think people who haven't played around with these systems just realize how useful they are. You could ask it, what are the steps to say, design a lab? And then you can show it photos of say your lab bench and ask what's missing, what's needed. And the system can interact with you to tell you. Now, clearly if you say, I'm gonna design a bioweapon, usually the system will just reject that. But someone who's thinking a bit carefully could then sort of navigate this and level up in a way that's not good for the rest of us. In short, anything that makes it easier to commit crime probably increases the likelihood of crime. I'll stop there for a moment before I get to the power seeking in case you want to interject. Excellent. No, I think th th this is actually excellent. And this is sort of give people, you know, a much more uh, granular understanding of what can go wrong. This is just not about some, you know, chatbot that we, you, you chat and ask, you know, you know uh, stupid questions. This is, it, it, it augments existing uh, things uh, to, to a degree that we did not have uh, before. Uh, but the third one is, you know, as uh, a lot of us are, are are very much concerned, and we're not concerned about existing systems doing this, but where this is going because of the exponential growth, because of the capabilities, et cetera, right? So why don't you talk a little bit more on the power-seeking component? Sure. And so the, the general frame here, is, as, as you just said, it's not that the current systems are doing this. It's that future systems might. And that might is enough of a concern that we should be acting now. And this is because it takes multiple years to usually address any meaningful problem in this world, if you can address it at all. And as you said, if the growth curve keeps going in a certain direction, there's more and more chips that are becoming powerful that are being designed by NVIDIA or manufactured in Taiwan. And so the next several years, like the, the plan, everyone's open about this, we're going to build these powerful chips, which should have these increased capabilities, and we're going to ship many, many millions of them across the earth. So that's the current plan. And the leading companies, your Anthropic, your OpenAI, your Google DeepMind and others, they are then going to use these chips to train their next generation models. So whatever we currently have will likely be not as powerful as the next generation model. So that's the, the general sort of frame for like why people start to be concerned. And if you look at the capabilities trend line, again, image generation used to be almost impossible, then it was bad, then it was decent, now it's amazing. Similarly, language understanding, recognition, not great, then it was decent, now it's amazing. And so it's not definitively true that these things are going to cause problems, but again, there's enough of a risk. So what could this look like? Why would this occur? Well, much like these systems, I said, can engage in behavior that seems deceptive or manipulative, they can do this without intention. They're just going to pursue a goal. And to do and achieve anything in this world, you have to exist. So it is plausible that an AI system, given one goal, will think, well, I have to make sure I exist to pursue this goal, and therefore I will engage in manipulation or trying to accumulate resources or create backup copy copies of myself to further achieve that particular goal. And once that sort of opens up, can it also edit its own code to some extent? Can it change its own goals? This is There's a lot of uncertainties here, but if it's possible, 
and plausible, which I think it is, we should be concerned. It's sort of, um, again, the rough analogy with people works and it doesn't work. But I like to say, when you're trying to imagine how capable a super intelligence is, think to your own life. You are so much more capable than you were as a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And you're so capable, in fact, that if you imagine yourself at four or five, four or five, you cannot believe, you could not comprehend how capable you are now. It would be beyond you. It wouldn't just be something you didn't think of. It would actually be unthinkable. And so if you now fast forward, like, well, no, we're adults. We're the capable ones. Like, well, what if something was much, much more capable or much more more intelligent than you were? It's, 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 um, it's a delicate argument because I don't want to do the like hand wavy. Something's way more powerful. It has godlike abilities. You can never understand it. But I am trying to give people the intuition pump that in your own lifetime, you have dramatically increased in capabilities in a way that you couldn't have understood. And it almost seems weird to look back. You almost probably can't, can't imagine how incapable you were when you were four. If you ever watch any TV shows you enjoyed as a child, you're like, oh, this is boring and weird. Why did I like this? Well, you've changed. And so um, as the system becomes more and more capable, maybe it can kind of change some of the goals that we've given it. Maybe it can uh, adapt and manipulate us to some extent. And this is what people are concerned about when they talk about power-seeking behaviors. Has this been demonstrated? As I said, the, cap- the, the possibility of manipulation and deception already exists. You can't really win at poker unless you have some understanding of how other people act in some ways. And so the pieces are starting to come together, right? The speed of progress is very fast. We're not sure how to align these systems. We're not sure if we can fully control them because of power seeking and other issues. And this all creates a risk. Uh, no, this is excellent. I mean, I, I, I want to get to the two two last questions uh, as as we're coming to to the close. But I want to emphasize one thing that when you know, I engage with uh, with people, the broad public, um, when you sort of get to the point of look, it's probably not a great idea to share the uh, this this particular planet with uh, something as intelligent as us, or, or perhaps more that we have no idea about how to control. Uh, people get it. Right. Again, you don't necessarily need to have. Uh, and again, it's I think one of the one of the issues we we tend to have and try to treat AI as an under technology is we get to do do overs. Right. Science proceeds by making mistakes and correcting those errors. But in this particular case, we might not be able to uh, have a chance to do over. Right. Um, and, and that brings it into a different category of risks where we need to uh, get this right from the first go, because if we don't, yes. we might not do a do-over. Yeah, I, that is a big concern of mine as well. Do we only have one chance? And I think there are enough good reasons to think that we do to then be very concerned and make sure we get it right the first time. For people who haven't looked into the history of things, you're like, oh, things are safe. They always have been like, no, no, no. The default technologies are the default state of almost any technology is not being that safe. When cars were first developed, when you look this up, it's kind of funny. Someone walked in front of the car with a red flag. And clearly that didn't last too long because the car doesn't go that quickly. But it's not like they also started with seatbelts and they started with all these advanced braking maneuvers and other things and airbags that we have now. Things got safe over time. Same thing with airplanes, right? And AI is happening so fast it's not clear that we really have 10 to 20, 30 years to make it more safe. It seems anything, it's the opposite. So all these measures to make things safe, we should be cautious, we should be concerned. Uh, it's no good if we create a powerful system that harms us when it was supposed to be beneficial. Like, What's the logic in this? We have to be very concerned if we get it right. So no, this is excellent. So let me let me jump into the last two questions, which one of them deals with the timelines and what we can do um, uh, to improve our chances in a way uh, to get this right. But the before that, um, you when you engage with with the public and with with, with different stakeholders, what are the most common uh, objections you hear 
to uh, taking AI safety um, seriously and, and spending resources and attention to it. I just had to highlight one thing, and you know, um, you know, of course, much better than I do. But the the number of people working on the on the AI safety component is so minuscule compared to people who are yep. putting money in, in capabilities that it is ridiculous when you have journalists, you know, uh, going and you know hyping and 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 you know, sort of attacking people who are working on AI safety of some sort of uh, you know. Uh, Cassandras that are trying to, for whatever reason, trying to get a get a benefit out of it. You know, warning warning people from what these things might turn out to be bad was supposedly a bad thing. While you have, you know, companies making billions out of it and will make billions out of it, will make the case that oh no, no, we have to go through and and, and the journalist seems to like that one. So. But it's first maybe put it into perspective. You know what's the the difference people are, are, are focusing on, but also then you know what are the common objections uh, objections you hear? Sure. Well, so taking that kind of they kind of blend together, right? I'll, I'll briefly do the first slash second one because you changed the order on me, and then go to the whole thing where people I think just don't realize how fast things are going, just how capable they are, or they think like ah yeah well so what right? They don't see the trend line that's occurring. I think broadly, uh, there's an issue with imagination. It's hard to imagine on a visceral level just how much things can change. If you ask people, can things change dramatically? And maybe you prompt them, maybe it's a financial collapse, maybe it's COVID. Oh yeah, things can change within a couple months. And it's unforeseen by most of humanity. Dramatic change can occur. They will admit that. That if you ask them then to think, well, could change occur again? Something like, well, no, I don't think so. And so there's this weird thing, right, that's going on where sometimes even people at the forefront of the field, there's a couple examples in the book. One nice one is the, the Wright brothers, who you know created flight or did the first flight in 1903, just before that happened, the New York Times said flight was maybe 1 million to 10 million years away. Clearly ridiculous. But more interesting is that one of the Wright brothers- And that brothers, we end up in, 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 in moon, right? In, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, in, exactly. In, in, in 60 plus yes. years, right? Oh, exactly. Then to the moon, right? Which also, which is another interesting. So when that, I interrupted myself here, when the moon landing goal, the moonshot, was announced by Kennedy- we didn't know how to do it, right? It's not like we just needed to figure out the implementation, the operation. It was the whole thing, like, how are we even going to do it at all? And that was figured out. So humans can have this remarkability to achieve almost the impossible when you set your mind to it. Again, going to the moon would have seemed not only, again, impossible, like unthinkable if you were living thousands, thousands of years. It just wouldn't have made sense. Quickly back to the Wright brothers. One of the Wright brothers in 1901 thought that flight was 50 years away. And then he was he was the other person that did it and two years later. So so there's that rate of capabilities. The other thing is there's this weird, as you said, with the, the criticism, there's this weird um, dynamic going on about supposedly people who are trying to push the technology forward and those who are more concerned about being safe. I think the average person, as you said, if you look at polls, they're like, why would we build something that's more capable than us that might harm us? That seems weird. But within industry, you can imagine there's trillion dollar companies or at least several hundred billion dollar companies rushing ahead. And there's these safety researchers, which are much smaller, saying we should be more careful. We should be cautious. Why should we trust you? But, and a really important but here is that in late May 2023, the Center for AI Safety put out a public statement which had many signatories. And the statement basically said that we should be treating AI similar to nuclear weapons. The extinction risk is that high. Now, you had famous AI researchers like Jeffrey Hinton, Joshua Bengio, and others who are very concerned and put their names to it. But you also had the CEOs of the leading AI companies. So Demis Asabas of Google DeepMind, Sam Altman of OpenAI, and Dario Amade of Anthropic. So I think what the average person doesn't quite realize is that the people who are at the forefront of building these systems think that the systems could cause human extinction by their own words. 
And that would lead, I think, all the time, like, what? What is actually going on? And some of them say it's 5%. Some of them say it's 1%. Dario Amade is on record of saying 10 to 25% chance of extinction. Now, why would they still be building it, right? That's the follow-up question. Well, some people think they're just saying it. They don't really believe it. It's regulatory capture. They're trying to do that sort of thing. But I really think that they think AI is wonderful and amazing and can more likely solve a lot of humanity's problems. But there is a risk of extinction. And we're going to try to do it more safely than our competitors. So there's this terrible arms race dynamic that's happening where everyone is trying to do it supposedly more safely. But by all of them acting not together, but in competition, it's accelerating everyone's capabilities. So it's a very concerning issue when the people building the thing think it might cause extinction. Safety researchers think it might cause extinction. And if you ask the average person, they might think, yeah, there's a decent chance of extinction. And yet we're still building them. It is the uh, mother of all coordination problems, uh, in a way, as, as, as you pointed out. What can we do uh, in terms of to reduce uh, this risk? Again, whether you find uh, your 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 P doom as 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 the thing goes is 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 one percent or is it ten percent? It is still too large, um, yes. and and given the uncertainty bands around it, uh, even if you are wrong by you know an order of magnitude. Uh, in either direction, it is very concerning. What can we do um, to 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 make AI more safe and and hopefully you know get the benefits without uh, without going extinct? Yes, let's let's hope we can. As you said, even if there's a one percent chance, a five percent chance, this is severe. This is this is we're talking about global stakes here, right? Global population, humanity stakes, and in any other context, people would think such a percentage is too much, too too ridiculous, right? You're not going to get on an airplane that has a five percent chance of crashing. You're not going to have a meal at a restaurant that has a five percent chance of food poisoning. Yet when we come to like the stakes of humanity, I think there is something where just like people just don't believe it. It couldn't possibly be the case. But you know, there have been extinctions before, usually due to an asteroid or something else, but life is not as robust as we would hope it to be. All I have to say is, what can we do? Well, we can do things. Let's let's first anchor that. This is not, uh, it's not hopeless. We have opportunities here. One thing is having conversations like this, raising awareness, making people more informed. In the book, there's two final chapters. One of them is devoted to eight policy proposals in the broad sense of what we can do. And the final chapter is what you can do personally. So the f- former category could be things like we should have liability. We should have uh, you know, audits and evaluations with teeth, though, right? Because people will try to circumvent these processes. We can have things like compute governance, having a sense of where the computer chips are and who has them. I think this is a useful one, and it's sort of like a tax on people who make $100 million. It doesn't affect most AI companies. It doesn't affect most AI users. But if you're at the frontier developing these highly capable systems in a multi-billion dollar or trillion dollar company, yes, you need more attention about who's doing it and how they're building it. There needs to be greater international cooperation, of course, because this is not just any one country's issue. It's going to be all of our country's issues. And even then, how do we how do we ensure greater representation in some sort of either citizens' assembly, global democratic voice? Maybe it's through the UN, maybe something else, but it is concerning that once again, you might have some Western, largely Western corporations deciding huge impacts on the world or even the fate of the world. I also think there should be increased transparency. Uh, people should know when they're interacting with an AI system. And there's other measures like just investing in safety research. It's expanded in more detail in the book. But aside from these measures, there's these principles, which is that we have to think in very agile and adaptable manner. Uh, we have to sort of emotionally prepare ourselves to try to move more quickly through things that might change very rapidly. As well, we need something like defense in depth. This principle comes from cybersecurity, where we can't expect any one thing to succeed, but we need multiple planks, pillars, levels to make sure we're more likely to succeed. 
on a personal level, I think, again, having conversations like this, talking to this, uh, talking about these issues with your friends, your colleagues, your peers, your representatives, advocating uh, for your concerns. Uh, how are you can tell your political representatives, how are you going to ensure I'm safe? What is your plan? What is your detail plan? Have other experts given it a green light? Are there problems with it? You could donate, you could volunteer, you could work in AI safety yourself if you happen to have such capabilities. But I think it's really, we have to realize what's going on. There isn't a lot of time, not because the end is within three months, but because it takes so long to address these problems. As you know, right now, there's a, the AI Act in the European Union that's under debate, and decisions are being made now that feed forward and affect the next several years, sort of like Biden's executive order, which is not legislation, but is really a good step in the right direction. So before it becomes even a greater problem, we have to act now. Now, that's excellent. And and for those who are in, in Canada, uh, if you do want to get involved more uh, within the sort of knowing what's going on and, and contribute and understand and engage in advocacy, I, I really urge you to to go uh, uh, check out AIGS Canada's website, AIGS.ca. Uh, full disclosure, I am involved with, with the group and um, enjoy uh, our conversations um, uh, quite a lot. Uh, you will learn more and and, and definitely will we'll be um uh, will be contributing to making making this uh, this uh, you know, very very <laughs> important um, technology uh, safer for for everyone. Uh, well, uh, we could talk another hour <laughs> uh, quite easily, uh, but uh, we're going to wrap up here uh, today. Uh, again, the book is Uncontrollable uh, by Darren McKee. It's available on Amazon. A great read. Uh, you know, a great conversation starter for your Christmas dinners. So go and 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 buy the book. Um, and, uh, and and Darren, uh, thanks very much uh, for for coming to Inside Policy Talks today. Thanks so much for having me.